You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. If you would just text the word notes to the number that's on the screen and that way you can follow along this morning. The sermon is called Consecrated for Reformation. We'll be in John chapter 17, verse 16 through 19. This is Jesus's words, and he's saying this, speaking of you, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them or make them holy in the truth. Your word is the truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they all also may be sanctified in the truth. Came to tell you this morning that Jesus lived a life of consecration and he has called us to live a life of consecration. Pray with me this morning. So Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are already in this place. We thank you that we are your temples. And so Holy Spirit, we declare, just like we declare about this sanctuary, that you don't just have part of this room, but that you have the entire room. So just go ahead and lay your hands on your belly, church. So we declare as the temples of the living God that we don't just give you parts of us, parts of our mind, parts of our heart, parts of our life, but Holy Spirit, we give you full access to come and fill us this morning, to speak to us, to invade every wrong thought, every wrong idea, every wrong theology. Lord, we pray that this morning you would begin to make the crooked ways straight within us. In fact, we invite you into personal reformation in our lives this morning. Would you begin to reform us? Would you begin, oh God, to make us holy like you are holy? Jesus, we pray that you would have your way this morning. And as Samuel prayed, we pray this morning. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And all the people said, amen. So consecration is the process or the preparation to be made holy. We know at this point that the fuel of reformation is holiness. If you have not listened to the message that I ministered last month on answering the call to holiness, please go listen to that message because this morning is gonna be a part two and going deeper into that. But I heard the Lord say, those that I entrust with reformation are those that consecrate themselves or are made holy. We have been asking the Lord for the blueprints of reformation. And I know that the Lord is giving us consecration or this message and this calling to consecration as a blueprint for reformation. Came to tell you this morning, we are in a season of consecration. What does this mean? This means that we are going deeper into the things of the Lord. We are submitting ourselves in greater ways and in greater levels to the Lord. I opened up and prayed, Lord, would you interrupt every idea, opinion, and thought? Would you come and have your way in every single part of me? This is a cry, this is a prayer of consecration because the, the consecrated one begins to say, Lord, whatever is in my life that is not pleasing to you, 
Whatever is in my life that is a separation between you and I, Lord, expose it and remove it. In fact, I want to actually separate myself from those things so I'm consecrated unto you. This is the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word for consecration is this, karash. It means this, to be set apart, separated, or to be made holy. We see this word and this revelation all throughout Scripture from Old Testament to New, to New Testament. We see it in Deuteronomy 14.2 where it says this, For you have been set apart as holy to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his prized possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. And then we see in Revelations 18.4 where he says, Come out of her, my people so that you will not share in her sins. What is he saying? He is saying, separate yourself from the things of the world or consecrate yourself, set yourself apart from the things in the world, from the sins of the world, so that you will not share in her sins. As I've been praying into this word of consecration, the Lord began to stir it in me. And this last August, I began to prophesy it at conference in September. But I had this vision of waves of consecration hitting the body of Christ. And these giant waves would hit and then another wave would hit and another wave every time purifying, every single time positioning us in this place of consecration. So what does this practically look, look like? Practically, I know we just came out of a fast, but I'll let you know, even though the fast has ended, the, the season of consecration has just begun, church. I know that your 21 day or your 40 day fast ended, but the year has just begun when God is going to begin to teach us this thing of consecration. And I believe release miracles, signs and wonders. So here's some practical ways to consecrate yourself is number one, commit to fasting. I know you just did a fast and you're like, oh, I don't even, I, I wanna think about another fast right now. <laughs> You don't have to do another 40-day fast, but I want your spirit man and woman to be alive. Open to the speaking of the Holy Spirit that on a Monday he can say, hey, tomorrow I'm calling you on a three-day fast. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I want you to set yourself apart from these things. We're going to begin, uh, the, the women of this house, I'm going to be calling into an Esther's fast to, to come into unity with Lou Engel and, and this Esther's call that's happening on October 12th. If you can go ahead and put up on the screen uh, just a plan of consecration over my, of this is some of the things that the Lord began to speak to me last year. And one of the things is the Esther fast, April 11th through the 13th, we're doing a three-day Esther's fast. But I began, to, I began to practically lean in. Lord, what does a life of consecration look like? Now look, I see all you see my sugar fast right there. All you healthy people out there that already you don't do sugar and you have like muscles just when you smile and they're flexing. Look, that one's not for you, okay? You're already doing it. But for somebody like me that has my licorice and my gummies and my sour gummy worms and everything in every purse and in every part of my car and in my drawers next to my bed, I was like, Lord, this is not you. Like this is a demon that is speaking right now. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. And then I hear it again. I'm like, oh, Lord, but I thought you loved me. 
But here's the truth, is he began to um, reveal to me things that I found comfort in outside of him in his presence. This is what consecration is about, is all of a sudden he begins to uh, bring to our awareness things that we get our strength from, things that we trust in over him, things that we get our comfort from, things that uh, we believe for miracles to come through in other forms and fashion than him. So this brings me to the practical way of number two is different things to consecrate yourself from. There's all different types of things that you can remove out of your life. And here's the heart of it. Is what is numbing you from the voice of the Lord? What is keeping you from daily encounters? What are the things that you've said, I don't have time for that because I have these things on my plate. These are the things the Lord is going to begin to invade in this year and begin to ask the body of Christ to separate yourself from. What steals your courage, church? Consecrate yourself from those things. And here's number three. Pray and ask the Lord, does all of this please you? Is there anything that I didn't add personally, Lord, that should be on this list. Pray this, expose any last things that my flesh doesn't want to give up. Lord, show me how to submit to consecration. Look, I know I'm bringing the cart before the horse where I'm giving you the practical ways to consecrate yourself before you've heard the revelation today, but don't forget the practical ways because I promise you by the end of this service, you're going to desire to live a life of consecration. We find this found in Numbers chapter 6. This is the Nazarite vow. And the Lord begins to speak to Moses and release what this Nazarite vow looks like. And in this list, in the verses of 1 uh, to verse, verse 1 to 21, he begins to list all of these different things for those that are saying yes to this Nazarite vow of what to keep themselves from. What to set their selves apart from. And then it says this in verse 6. In verse 7. After all of the different separations. It says this. Even if his father, mother, brother, or sister should die. He is not to defile himself. You ask the Lord. Lord, what is an operation in my life that is defiling this temple? What are the things that I am watching? What are the things that I am listening to? That I come on a Sunday to lift my hands to Yahweh. That I kneel at an altar and say, Lord, make me holy. And then Monday night, back on my television. Tuesday morning, back on my radio or on my podcast. As I'm scrolling through social media, I haven't set myself apart from. And so he says these words in verse 21. In addition, or he says this, this is the law of the Nazarite who vows his offering to the Lord for his separation in addition to whatever else he can afford. The Lord said, I'm gonna give you all of this list of all these things I want you to separate yourself from. But then I'm gonna ask you to be real with yourself. And what things do you need to part with 
And he says, he must fulfill whatever vow he makes according to the law of his separation. See, consecration, church, it goes further and it goes deeper than a fast. (laughs) It's slowly, it's slowly trickling in the room of, yeah, I desire this. See, Jesus lived this life of consecration. He's called us to live a life of consecration. And I believe so many of you, the fruit that you're desiring in your life, the breakthroughs and the victories that you're believing for in your life are found in this place of consecration. Consecration is the preparation for these three things. To be made holy, to become trustworthy to the Lord, and to bring reformation. So in this first point, that consecration is the preparation to be made holy, we see in Luke chapter one, verses eight through 17, that this is the call of John the Baptist with his father, Zechariah. See, Zechariah was a priest, so he was living a life of consecration. He was living a life that was set apart for the Lord. Yet him and and his wife, Elizabeth, found themselves in extreme hardship and tragedy as they had been trying to have a baby for years and years. But I find it so interesting that on this specific day, it says he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And it says this, the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And it was at that moment that there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. It was in the moment, even though he had lived a life of consecration, that all of a sudden, another level he goes. He separates himself from the people. He separates himself from the world. And he comes to the altar of the Lord. And it's in this place that just him and the Lord are together that all of a sudden Yahweh begins to speak. I felt to encourage some of you this morning those of you that have been praying and asking God to answer you on specific things. You've been asking and pursuing for direction from him and you haven't heard it either way and your response has been frustration. Can I tell you, instead of frustration, your response should be consecration. It's in the place of consecration that all of a sudden you separate yourself from all of the things that make you feel better that you've been filling yourself with when the Lord's silence is really a response to draw you, to woo you into a greater place of intimacy and in that place he's like okay now I have her I have him where I want her now I begin to release vision. Now I begin to show you the desires of my heart for your family, for your business, for your future, because I have your attention in the place of consecration. It's at this place that all of the sudden, the womb that was empty before all of the sudden a wonder in a womb is released and he begins to, the, the angel begins to release the vision of John the Baptist, this Nazarite call. Those that are birthing babies, this year I heard were babies of consecration. 
There will be physical babies and there will be spiritual babies. But I'm telling you, as you consecrate yourself, there will be wonders in womb. I'm, I'm prophesying over you right now. Some of you have had a hard time where you have been believing for years and years. You have done the fast. You have come in unity with this house and you have been believing for the breakthroughs. You have been believing for the signs and wonders. Wonders are found in this place of consecration. This is where Zechariah finds himself in this radical encounter with the Lord. I heard him say, those that live a life of consecration, church, will birth reformation. So Luke chapter one, they have their baby. One of the greatest reformers of all time to walk the earth, John the Baptist. And Zechariah begins to prophesy over his child. And then in verse 80, it says this, and the child grew and became strong in spirit. This is not talking about his spirit. It is talking about the Holy Spirit. This is a capital S. It says he grew and be became strong in the spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Now listen, I believe the Western church, the church all together has the wilderness so twisted. We have the wrong idea about what the wilderness is. And we think because the Israelites went in and it's the place that they were met with an angry leader and God and there was a discipline and it went from days to 40 years that the wilderness is a bad place. Here's a new perspective for you. It was not the wilderness that was bad. It was the Israelites that were bad. They were the disobedient ones. The Bible says when Moses is going to Pharaoh to go and confront him, he says to Pharaoh, let my people go for my God is bringing his people into the wilderness to worship. Ha! Ah, see, God was delivering his people out of slavery and into and out of bondage into the wilderness. Did you hear what I just said? God was setting his people free out of Egypt and into the wilderness to encounter his people so that they would worship him. Not only that they would worship him, but he had plans of encountering them in such, such supernatural ways. He had plans of healing them. He had plans of restoring them. He had plans of providing them by a cloud by day and a fire by night oh church it was the wilderness the wilderness was the plan all along by God to bless his people oh to protect his people but because the American church we don't like to be uncomfortable we don't want to be uncomfortable and the wilderness seemed like this desert type place it was it was on purpose. It wasn't supposed to be the IG beautiful vacay with the palm trees over the clear water. You want to know why? 
because the Israelites or the people of God would have looked to the land for the wonders. They would have looked to the land for the provision. He on purpose took them to a place of the wilderness that was barren with no flowing streams, with no trees, with fruit on it, because he said, this is the place. Oh, this is the place. I'm going to reveal myself to my people as Jehovah Jireh, as Jehovah Nisi, as provider, as healer. Oh, the wilderness church is a place of the supernatural. The wilderness is the place of consecration. Came to tell you this morning, stop rejecting the wilderness. Stop rejecting it, church. He has wonders for you in the wilderness. And he has wonders that are coming after the wilderness. See, the wilderness is a place that he reveals himself to you. Five ways God reveals himself in the wilderness. The first is this, is God encounters us in the wilderness. We see this in Exodus 34, 28 through 30. This is when Moses, he is in the wilderness and he goes to the top of the mountain to get these 10 commandments. But the Bible says he was on a 40 day fast. He was consecrating himself. And for 40 days, he just begins to encounter the living God that you are singing about in worship. And as he encounters this living God, it says that he begins to walk down the mountain and the people could not see him because he was so radiant from the glory of God. See, this is what consecration will do. This is what the wilderness will do is all of a sudden you stop looking like yourself. Praise God. I know the world tells you to be your best you, but can I just shake that up and break that idea? I don't want to be the best me. I want to look like him. I want to smell like him. I want to be like him. I want to walk like him. I want to be like Jesus. Ah, it's in that place of consecration that we begin to look and act more like him and less like us. Number two is this, that God speaks in the wilderness. We see this in Luke 3, 26, where the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. This is why the body of Christ isn't ready for massive events happening in our nation. It's because we don't know what he's saying because we've been rejecting consecration in the wilderness. But it's in that place where you just turn off, you turn off the social media. You turn off the TV. Come on, we just get back to the place of kneeling in front of our fireplace, kneeling in our closet. And we just say, Jesus, speak. Jesus, speak. It's the place that God speaks. Number three is God provides in the wilderness. Exodus 16, four through eight. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. This is so exciting. This is so exciting. Do you know that in the place of the wilderness is where you don't have to fear mammon anymore, church. You don't have to fear not having enough anymore. You don't have to fear how you're gonna pay your bills tomorrow. Pastors in the room, you don't have to fear when you're living a life of consecration, how you're paying your bills 
next month or if your message is offensive and half your church leaves. Look, when you're living a life of consecration, oh, God begins to do in his strength what you can't do in your own. Just manna from heaven. Meet in the evenings, not knowing where provision comes from. But the place of consecration is what allows Yahweh in his own strength to show up and to and accomplish what you have been working so hard to accomplish on your own and still haven't been able to accomplish it. I pray frustration comes off of you this morning. And as frustration comes off, you step into consecration. And as you step into consecration, the wonders and the miracles come. Number four, God restores us and he makes us holy in the wilderness. We see this in Exodus chapter three. And this was Moses. It actually, I'm gonna read it. It says in verse one, Moses led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from within a bush. Moses saw the bush ablaze with fire, but it was not consumed. And he begins to call out to Moses. I hope you know the word of God, but before this, Moses was a murderer. He took a man's life. And then the Lord strategically takes him into the wilderness. And all of a sudden begins to encounter Moses in a holy fire, in a burning bush. And he says, Moses, unstrap those sandals, take those shoes off, for you are on holy ground. And in this place of holiness, I'm about to restore you. I'm about to redeem your past. I'm about to call you out of your past and into a wondrous future because you're about to set my people free. So I had to have a moment with you in the wilderness so that you know Moses what happens in the wilderness I feel the Holy Ghost right now I don't know how many of you have been in a wilderness season and you have been fighting it oh I'm just in a wilderness season just another year in a desert season God's voice not speaking. It's just dry spiritually. I don't know. I don't know what your wilderness you're reading about in the Bible. But when I read my Bible, the wilderness is a different place. It's a place that God shows up. Man, it's a place that Jesus shows up in the place of consecration. Some of you have been seeking him in the wrong places. You've been desiring Jesus to come and meet you. Oh, Jesus, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm doing. I need you to come meet me where I'm at. And he's like, no, I'll wait until you separate yourself from all of those idols, from all of those things that have your attention. And when you step into consecration, there's where I'm going to meet you. See, God's heart for the Israelites not getting out of the wilderness was for them to get what he was trying to give them in the wilderness. Did you hear what I just said? Receive what he's trying to give you when you step into the wilderness and consecration. He's trying to give you beautiful things. Stop rejecting it. 
Number five, God prepares us in the wilderness. We saw it in Luke 180, but let me read it again. It says this, when he was growing strong in spirit, the Bible says this, and he lived in the wilderness. See, now this just messed with me when I read this because I was prophesying a season of consecration. I'm like, Lord, but you said a season, yet you're showing us a reformer that you called to live in the place of the wilderness. And I literally felt like the Lord, like, yeah, but my foolish, faithless children I'm gonna tell you a season of consecration and then in the season of consecration, I'm gonna give you a hunger to live a life of consecration. It's not about a year's plan of consecration. It's about a life of it, church. It's about a life that as wickedness grows, faith in your household grows, as lawlessness grows in the world, the supernatural grows in your heart, the supernatural grows in your household, the supernatural grows in your marriage. See, the wilderness is a place of preparation. And I believe that this is why the church failed in COVID. Because we have been rejecting the place of preparation. This is why we feared more what evil men were telling us to do than our God, like Peter and Paul said. They said, I'm sorry, I know you're telling us not to say this name, Jesus. But I can't go on living life without saying the name Jesus. So therefore, instead of obeying man, I will obey the Lord. This is the boldness. This is the courage that has to begin to rise in the body of Christ. That has to begin to rise in spiritual leaders, in fathers and mothers. Ha! That the intimidation of our world, the intimidation of our culture does not move us. But 2 Thessalonians 2 through 22, that declares, stand firm. Stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in the word of God. Stand firm in the teachings. Spiritual leaders have brought, not being swayed, not being moved, but submitting to this place of consecration. So you know that in Luke 4, 1, the Bible says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into, can you say that word into? Say it again, into. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now we know that the Bible says that he does not tempt us. God does not tempt us. He does not do harm to us. So therefore, God is not bringing Jesus, his one and only son, into a trap, church. Again, this is how we have looked at the wilderness because he encounters Satan. Maybe here's another perspective for you. Maybe it was God that said, I'm ready for another showdown moment to show my bride, to show my bride the authority that she has within her, to show my bride the power that she has within her, to begin to awaken the body of Christ of why he had to go die. I believe 
you. And then he said these words, so that you may go do even greater. Who wants to be a part of the even greater, the even greater vessels, vessels of wonders, vessels of miracles, vessels of signs. Lord, make us vessels of wonders made in the wilderness. Jesus consecrates himself. He goes into the wilderness. <laughs> I love this because Satan comes to tempt him. We see it in Matthew 4, 8 through 11. And it says, and again, the devil takes him to a mountain exceedingly high and shows to him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says to him, all these things I will give you. If falling down, you will worship me. Foolish Satan forgot that God led his people, the Israelites, in the Old Testament, in the wilderness, to do what, church? To worship him. So the enemy tries to tempt Jesus to worship Satan. And then Jesus' response is this, get away from me, Satan, for it has been written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. Ah, the wilderness is a place, church. He draws you to worship him, to overcome. It's the place that he draws you into consecration for that victory and for that breakthrough that you've been believing God for. Don't you know right after this moment that Jesus overcomes the enemy, this showdown moment, victory comes. Jesus is launched. <laughs> he is launched into his full-time ministry after this moment. He just had to take him through the wilderness to birth the wonders that were coming. See, it sounds like John the Baptist who was raised in the wilderness and then what afterwards thrust into his ministry, maybe Joshua in Joshua 3, 5, who also he called the people to consecrate themselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. Church wonders follow the wilderness. This is why you've had such a resistance. See, then our flesh partners with the resistance because we want to be known so bad. And see, the place of the wilderness is just you and Jesus, where nobody else knows you or knows your name. But can you imagine, can you imagine an end time church, an end time church that doesn't care, who knows their name, doesn't care how many followers on social media they have or they lose, but that they only care that one that knows their name, Jesus Christ, the living one knows their name. Can you imagine an end time bride that burns without fear, not fearing anything else, but places all of their fear in him. It's an unstoppable bride. It's an unstoppable body of Christ. I believe that this is why we have seen so much fear in our society. We have seen so much fear in our government leadership of trying to silence the church. They're more aware of the power in you than I believe the body of Christ is aware of what's in itself. Do you think that they would plan as much as they are planning 
to fight the church, to mock the church, to belittle the church, to close the church down if it didn't know the power within. You are a sleeping giant, mercy culture. Pastors in here, you are sleeping giants that they are afraid of an awakening that that a few would have authority over the majority. Oh, but that's the authority of our God. For the Lord will do wonders among you. Hosea 2.14 says it like this, therefore behold, I will allure her. He will allure you and bring you into the wilderness and speak tenderly to you. And there I will give her vineyards or there he will bless you speak to you, provide for you. See, the wilderness is this place that you fully fall in love with Jesus. It's where a lovesick bride falls in love with her bridegroom. And do you know in this place, when you go away, it's just like when you go away on your honeymoon, nobody else exists. You become obsessed with that individual. You fall in love with that individual. And guess what? When you get back, nobody better touch that person. You've come in one. You've come into unity. You have spent this beautiful, romantic time together. And you are, you are coming back in this beautiful place of unity. It is the same as we consecrate ourselves with our king. That all of a sudden, everything that had our attention... Our gaze goes back to the bridegroom. This is the place that your devotion and your allegiance goes only to him. I believe consecration is the place that if I perish, I perish goes from being a song to a declaration to you walking and living it out. Can I tell you that we can't just sing these songs. We have to live it. We have to walk it. Church, we're in an hour that it could be at any single moment. Your faith is tested. Do you really mean if I perish, I perish? And I believe it's in this place of consecration that he prepares us and makes us ready to declare and walk it out. Isaiah 35 says this, that the wilderness and the land will be glad. And the desert will rejoice and blossom like a rose. It will bloom profusely and rejoice with joy and singing. For waters will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And there will be a highway called the way of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it. Only those who walk in the way. The wilderness will lead you to the way of holiness. Many of you have been seeking since this message of holiness. How am I made holy? I'm praying the prayer, Lord, make me holy like you are holy. Church, it's through consecration. You cannot escape the wilderness and end up on the road or the way to holiness. You must go through the wilderness to get onto the way of holiness. Consecration is needed. Point one was to be made holy. Number two is this, to become trustworthy to the Lord. John the Baptist 
He was tempted by the priests, the Levites, the Pharisees, his own followers to bring glory to himself. But every single time he points to Jesus, he was trustworthy to the Lord. He was trustworthy to Jesus. We see in John chapter 1 verse 19 through 24 that these religious leaders are sent to question John. And he says this, as they come to question him, they say, who are you? They see John baptizing all these people. They see the popularity. They see the power. And so they came to say, who are you? Because they're thinking, is he the coming Elijah? Is he the Messiah? Who is this man? Is he a prophet? Yet Elijah, even though he was prophesied over as this prophet that was coming to prepare the way of the Lord. I love this so much. This is, I'm going to pause. This is the moment that he has an audience. He has an audience with the religious leaders. He has an audience with the city leaders. And they say to John the Baptist, who are you? This is a moment that most uh, social media influencers and pastors and preachers and evangelists, they just roll out their Rolodex. Look at, I've done this for Jesus. I've done this. I've fasted this long. I've done this. I've been here and I've given this up for him and I've sacrificed this for him. And this is my title, but now it's actually gone from that title to this greater title because I was promoted on this day at this time. And this is what we would normally do. But see, John the Baptist was different. He was trusted by God because he refused to take the glory from God. He understood his purpose. He understood his calling so well. He knew that there was one reason he was on this earth and it was an honor. It was to point everybody to the Messiah. And so he answers these religious leaders. And this is my favorite part. He identifies, <laughs> 2024 when we identify with everything. This is his identity. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness to make straight the way of the Lord. John the Baptist does not even say, yes, I am the great prophet that's been prophesied by Isaiah, that Zechariah, my father, the priest, he prophesied I would also be a great prophet. Oh no, he says, no, I am none of those. I am just a voice crying out from the wilderness preparing the way of the Lord can you imagine just some pastors and a bride that would say who cares what my purpose who cares what's been prophesied over my life for me to get the followers for me to get anything great oh but it's just to make his name great oh that it's just to be a voice crying out from the wilderness. And if that's not enough, his followers have a moment and they begin to tempt him. They come to John the Baptist like, man, John, we've been working so hard. Like we've been out here for days in this hot heat on these riverbanks. We have been baptizing person after person after person. Like we haven't seen our family in a couple of days. And this guy that you're talking about is the Messiah over here. Do you see him taking all of our followers that we've worked so hard for? 
this is real. This is what we do. This is what we were. We're so worried for the credit. We need the credit. I need, I need to make sure you appreciate me and all of my gifts and what I'm doing for you. And John comes and wrecks them. I imagine, and it's not quoted here, that he said, you know what? That's the Messiah. You should probably go follow him too. But he says this. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. He was saying, these followers, they're not our followers. They're not mine. This church isn't mine. These people are mine. My children are mine. This business isn't mine. The money in my bank account, it's not mine. None of it is mine. It's all the bridegroom's. And he said, the friend of the bridegroom gets great joy when I hear the voice of the bridegroom coming. And he begins to declare this. I pray that I would decrease and that he would increase. This is why John was, he was trusted by Jesus is he refused to take any of the glory, any of the credit. And this is so beautiful. This is so beautiful because we see in the same moment in time in Matthew chapter 11, verse 9 and 11, as John is testifying about how great Jesus is, this is what Jesus says of John. Yes, I tell you, and he is more than a prophet. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Church, can you imagine Jesus Christ, the Messiah, saying about you that there is no one greater than you? Can you imagine? But this is who John the Baptist was. He didn't need to testify of his greatness. And because he didn't, the Messiah testified of John's greatness. I came to ask you this morning, what type of man or woman do you need to be trusted by God? Do you know how wild of a thought this is? That the majority of the body of Christ, all of us, we struggle in trusting God. The perfect one who has never done anything wrong. There's people potentially in this room that you say you trust. Your spouse that you trust. Who has wronged you? Who has sinned against you? Who is imperfect? Yet we struggle to trust God. Who's perfect. Who loves you, blesses you, protects you, provides for you. But can you imagine the place of perfectly trusting him and God to be to extend to you his trust, to say, Mary, I trust you, to say, Isaac, I trust you, to say, Les, I trust you. Can you imagine God saying, I trust you? So I ask you this morning, what type of a man or woman do you need to be for God to trust you? Take it to him. Ask him, church. Say, Lord, what do I need to be trusted by you? What do I need to consecrate myself from? What do I need to set myself apart from? Because it's possible. It's possible that God trusts you.
Consecration is needed to number three, bring reformation. And we see this in Luke chapter three, verse two through 22. And this is where, again, the word of God comes to the son of Zechariah, John, uh, in the wilderness. And all of a sudden, the words of Isaiah come in life. The, the prophet uh, the prophecy of Isaiah comes alive over John's life and he begins to declare one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. It is, a, it is the biblical definition of reformation and it is this, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked ways shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all the flesh shall see the salvation of God but you want to know what my favorite part is church is he did not just preach about reformation he brought reformation he was anointed to bring reformation right after this in the next portion of scripture he begins to confront the crowds he begins to confront the religious leaders in fact he calls them a brood of vipers and says how dare you think that you can escape the wrath that is to come for bear fruits in keeping with repentance. I think it's so interesting that John's message wasn't on grace. But in preparing the way of the Lord, he preached repentance. I want to encourage the pastors and all of you in here because you have a testimony in your preachers because you're called to be a witness. It's time for the courage to come back to the body of Christ. It's time for courage to come back to the pulpit. It is time that we don't preach a gospel that gets us more followers, but that we preach a gospel that gets more people into heaven and into eternity. And this was John the Baptist because not only, not only is he calling out and calling to repentance those on the riverbanks, but the Bible says he finds himself in the high tops, in the palaces with Herod and he begins to confront King Herod for marrying his sister-in-law. Now John knows his head is going to be desired. And I believe that this is the place that most would step back out of consecration because all of a sudden my reputation is on the line. All of a sudden my money is on the line or all of a sudden my life is on the line. I believe we are this close. It's not fact, but that close to an event happening in America that you will be tested in this. That no matter who you're standing in front of, who matter, no matter who you're talking to, no matter who that business deal is, no matter what the consequences are, will you preach the name of Jesus? Will you stand for your faith? And stand holy and set apart. See, church, John was wild because he was made in the wilderness. Believe this is a wild church. But for you to be wild in your surroundings, you have to stop rejecting consecration. 
you have to stop rejecting the wilderness. Second Corinthians says it like this in chapter six, do not be unequally yoked. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership can righteousness have with wickedness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? For we are the temple of the living God. Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. How do you make crooked ways straight if you don't even know what's crooked and what's straight? How do you make wrong right when you don't know the difference between wrong and right? This is why we have to submit ourselves to a place of consecration. It's where John the Baptist, without knowing Jesus, recognized the voice of Jesus coming because he was raised in consecration. It's why when he came into the world, there was an immediate righteous anger. Ah, because he was a man made holy. See, it's this place where that little fire in you, in consecration, it just begins to be fanned. And all of a sudden, you're no longer a little flame. But businessmen and women in here, teachers in public schools in here, political leaders in this place, pastors in this place, all of a sudden, that little flame, all of a sudden, that cowardness begins to fall off and courage comes in the midst of a wildfire in you that everywhere you go, half of you are getting it. Half of you are desiring it this morning. An awakening, Jesus, bring an awakening this morning. Worship team, come. See, John the Baptist, he knew the difference between holiness and unholiness. And you cannot bring reformation if you don't know the difference between holy and unholy, church. You will not have authority to make crooked ways straight in your churches and your lives in ministries. If you don't allow the Lord to come make the crookedness within you straight. See, life separated to the Lord is what makes you discerning between right and wrong. Life lived in consecration in his presence with his voice. Preparing your voice to be one that cries out from the wilderness. This is what prepares you to bring, to bring reforma reformation, to be a reformer. So now it's your choice. Will you follow in the greatest reformer's footsteps, Jesus? Will you answer a call to consecration because Jesus was consecrated and I believe he is calling the church in this hour to live a life of consecration. John 17, 16 through 19, our opening scripture. Let's go back to it. If you weren't already aware of this, this is Jesus praying for his disciples. Did you know that Jesus has been praying for thousands of years for you to be consecrated? Did you know thousands of years ago, Jesus began to intercede for you to live a life holy like him to answer this call this is how he prayed they are not of the world just as i am not of the world 
And he asked the Lord, sanctify them or consecrate them in the truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified or made holy in the truth. It says that Jesus said that he was sending us into the world. Do you know that Jesus this morning, he is calling you into a life of consecration. And as he calls you to step into consecration, Jesus is calling you to be sent into the world to bring his authority, to bring his power, oh, to prepare a great harvest for his return. This is the hour that he is anointing his bride and consecration to be made holy, to bring revival and reformation to America and to the nations. The vision that he gave me for this moment, this morning, was Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. See, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they were led by a prophet named Daniel. They lived a life of consecration. We know this because Daniel, when he entered the king's courts, it said that he wanted to feed, the king wanted to feed them the greatest food, the greatest wine. But Daniel's response was no. I don't want the king's food. I don't want the king's wine. I'm going to consecrate myself. I'm going to separate myself. He wasn't moved, church. Listen to me right now. Do you know how many that would be? The number one goal of people's life is to go into the White House and to sit and dine at the king's table with the king's food. Oh, but not these men. See, they had lived a life of consecration. They already knew they had been prepared by this moment, for this moment, because of the life of consecration. They weren't swooned by the palace. They weren't swooned by the goblets. They weren't swooned, oh, by all the royal dwellings and the robes and the food. Oh, see, the decision had already been made for these four men who were consecrated, set on fire for Jesus. So this is this life of consecration that they lived. Oh, it's what prepared them for the lion's sin and the fire. The Bible says that these three men find themselves in a moment in time where King Nebuchadnezzar calls the nations, calls the people, calls the rulers the most powerful kingdom there was. And he said, bring them forth and I'm going to erect a golden shrine, a golden image, an idol, and all of the peoples of every nation shall bow down when I begin to play the music. And he said, and if they don't, we will throw them into the fiery furnace. And the moment comes 
and the music begins to play and the golden the golden image is brought out and I can just picture it thousands and thousands of people all in their cowardness bowing those that know Yahweh those that know God oh but they fear the fire more Oh, they fear, they fear death more. So they bow. Can you imagine the three men standing in a sea of thousands, knowing what their fate is, but saying, I refuse to bow to the ways of this world. I refuse to bow to a golden image. I refuse to bow to the evil of our time. And so the Bible says they stood and the next thing you know, they're being bound and they're being handcuffed and they're being brought in front of this fire. And as they're being brought in front of this fire, oh, the king gives them another chance. And in intimidation, he says, really, you're not gonna bow. You wanna be thrown into this and they say, we will bow to no other God but our God. You can throw us in and he is mighty to save. But even if he doesn't, he is still God. You want to know what the response was? The response as they're standing bound at this fire. The king is so enraged with madness. He says, bring them forth. Bring my men forth and go and make this fire seven times harder. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, I can see him. I can see him standing there bound saying, bring it. Our minds were already made. You don't know what we've already faced. Our lives have been set apart. They've been set apart from him from day one. The Bible says these men, they came to make it seven times harder. And the Bible says the men that came to make it seven times harder, that they were quenched in the fire. Can you just imagine the spirit of intimidation in this moment? The king looking to the three men saying, you see them just quenched in the fire. Oh, but here's the difference. Those men, they didn't choose to step into that fire. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Ooh. They said, we choose to step into the fire we choose to step into consecration we hope you've enjoyed this message from mercy culture church if this podcast has blessed you we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend to learn more about us find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com 